for three days now. And um, anyway, it's uh, been kind of interesting having just the Kim men bond in the house together while mommy is away. And I kind of thought, ah, what a what a appropriate topic to preach on for this weekend, dealing with destructive emotions, anger. And, you know, I don't know what it's like in your home, but in our home, Saturday morning, it just kind of climaxes, you know, like especially when daddy's got to go to work and it's just kind of rush, rush, rush. And then, of course, everything tends to just pile up and just come at the same time. When it rains, it really does pour. Um, this morning, uh, we were getting ready to get out of the house, and Joshua looks at me, and he's like, I pooped. <laughs> and I was like, you would poop right now. So like, it's okay. I'm only late. It's not a big deal. Take care of that. Drive down the road. Of course, there's tons of traffic. Get to the church, and there's like a dumb truck right in the one way, in the alleyway. I'm like, I'm late for church. Get out of the way. And then I'm thinking, I've got to preach on anger. I've got to preach on anger. <laughs> so anyway, today, we're going to talk about dealing with destructive emotions, anger. Would you join me for one more word of prayer before we begin? Father God, as we open your word and as we discuss this topic of, um, of, of dealing with our anger, I just want to pray that you would um, speak to our hearts, that you would minister to us, and that your word would just um, sink deep, uh, deep into our hearts and that we would really sense Christ in the midst of this, and as we deal with our anger, we pray that you would teach us uh, to mature in this area of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, before I start, as a uh, kind of a precursor to this uh, message, I want to start off by saying that anger is a very tricky emotion because generally it's associated with destructive behavior. But if you think about it, anger can be a very positive thing. Uh, it can um, it can motivate uh, incredible change. Uh, in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty six, Paul says something quite uh, profound and um, confusing at the same time. He says, "Be angry and sin not." Be angry and sin not. And there are so many different interpretations of this uh, of this verse. But the way that I read this is simply that: Don't let anger lead you to uh, destructive behavior. Don't let anger lead you to destructive behavior. In other words, it is a possibility to be angry and create positive change from that anger. Uh, if you Google peace ambassadors in uh, the city of New York or in Manhattan, uh, there's an interesting statistic that's come out of um, that, that city. It's one of the biggest cities uh, in the world, and it also used to have one of the highest crime rates. And between the 80s and 2016, crime rates, or excuse me, violent uh, crimes related to guns have dropped 85% in the city of Manhattan. And today it's one of the safest large uh, metropolitan cities in the world. And the reason behind that is because there was a lady who got really, really angry, and she went to the mayor and said, we need to create change in this neighborhood. What are we going to do? And she developed a program called the Peace Ambassadors Program. And they basically train people to run towards violent situations, and they're trained to uh, to, to diffuse those uh, tense situations. And as a result, it's really created some positive change. Of course, we're familiar with the negative uh, consequences of anger, where it leads, our anger leads us to destructive behavior. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 8, it says, Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. 
Les Carter and Frank Minrith wrote a book called The Anger Workbook. It's an interactive book, um, or it's an interactive guide to anger management, and it highlights three different kinds of angry people, three different kinds of angry people. And the reason why I appreciate this is because generally we just associate anger with yelling or violence, but uh, I find that this categorization um, is quite helpful. So the first category of angry people are spewers. Um, the next category are stuffers, and then finally the leakers. So spewers are uh, often have minimal impulse control, and this often leads to uh, a raising of voices when they get heated. Um, and as they continue on in that dialogue and that argument, the voice gets louder and louder and louder. Uh, it often leads, or it can lead to physical forth, force. They use anger as a tool of intimidation. Spewers will often say what's on their mind. They're often opinionated, and spewers can become demanding and repetitive. And uh, when I was reading through these um, identifi uh, identifying marks of the spewer, I was like, I am a spewer. <laughs> like, and I don't know if it's too much of a general generalization, but I find many Asian men that I know are spewers. <laughs> I grew up in a spewing family, and I am a product of my upbringing. But that, that part of repetition is kind of an interesting one to me because I find when I'm like talking to Mike, I'm like, did you clean up your room? Did you clean? I told you to clean up your room. How come you didn't clean up your room? I'm like, okay, he heard me. It's okay. I should stop. <laughs> but spewers often feel, or excuse me, uh, spewers can become demanding and repetitive. Spewers feel that anger is an entitlement. You made me angry. Anger is a necessity and is often used as a control mechanism. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, spewers often feel tremendous amounts of uh, remorse and guilt after they have spewed. And uh, I find that's interesting because, uh, well, I find that very true in my case, and I find that the characterization is interesting. So spewers need to know it is possible to control one's temper. It's possible to lengthen the fuse before the bomb goes off. Now, I've personally witnessed an individual or individuals in the middle of an argument, and as a kid... Grown-ups yelling often sound like two dinosaurs going at it. It's like two T-Rexes, roar, and then the response is roar. And I remember as a kid witnessing this happen, and then the phone rings, ding, and back then, there was no caller ID, right? It's just landline, so if you miss that call, you miss it. So ding, roar, pause. Hello? Oh, hello, Mrs. Lee. How are you doing? Yes, we'll be at the picnic this weekend. Okay, great. We'll bring a casserole. Click. And then, roar! What just happened right there? And the point is that we can control our anger. It is a possibility. So next are the stuffers. Stuffers often deny the fact that they are angry. There is no angry. Uh, there is no anger. They often avoid their emotions. And the reason why is because expressing anger is wrong. Expressing anger is uncomfortable. And so they tend to minimize frustration because dealing with the conflict doesn't seem worthwhile. They often keep their thoughts to themselves. They don't like to share what's going on inside. They're generally non-confrontational, and they bury their anger, which later becomes a roadblock to intimacy with those they are angry with. Stuffers have been known to suppress and suppress until something triggers them, and then kaboom! Stuffers need to know that anger is okay and normal, and it's okay to communicate their needs and their wants, it's important to communicate when those needs are not met. Finally, we have the leakers. 
Leakers believe that showing anger is bad, similar to the stuffers. But they believe that showing anger is bad, but being angry is not bad. And so what happens is they don't want to bottle up their anger, and so they just leak it here and there, and it comes out in passive-aggressive behavior. They may use sarcasm and negativity towards a party that they are upset with. They may ignore the party they are unhappy with or just become frigid and aloof. So if I were to give a driving illustration to these three different categories, um, I don't know if any of you have dealt with tailgaters, people that just drive way too close to the back of your car. The spewer will brake check the tailgater. I'll just make sure that you back up a little bit. The stuffer will pull over to the other lane and let the perpetrator pass, even though they're unhappy and annoyed with the tailgater. The leaker, they'll simply slow down a few kilometers under the speed limit, right? If you're wondering where I got that illustration from, I have no idea. So here are the three different categories. And the purpose of this exercise is not so much to condemn and say, that's you. And I, you know, as I was reading through these different characteristics, I kind of thought, great, I'm all three. <laughs> and so I don't know if you kind of gave that realization. If you did, welcome to the club. For those of you who are none of these categories, well, good for you. <laughs> But what I want to do is just highlight and understand anger. It comes in so many different shapes and forms and sizes. And the point is when we understand our anger, it becomes a lot easier to manage it. So the next point that I want to make is anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion. And what I mean by that is anger lets you know something is wrong. It's like that check engine light that comes on in your car. Now, the check engine light just simply tells you something is wrong, so go to the mechanic. And so anger is that secondary emotion that says there's something else that's bothering me. Last year, Micah had an excursion at Kindy, and uh, we received a newsletter, and the newsletter said, Parents, please make sure and get your child to Kindy before 9 a.m. And, of course, I was running late, and I found myself getting angry. I'm angry at the traffic lights. Why aren't you green? I'm angry at the drivers on the road. Why didn't you go? You had plenty of room. I got angry at the clock, angry at my kids, and I walk into the kindy class, and all the children are lined up ready for the excursion. It's about 9, 10. And out of the corner of my eye, I catch the teacher glaring at me, right? And all of a sudden, I felt this overwhelming sense of embarrassment. Ugh, this person thinks I'm an irresponsible parent. So that primary emotion was embarrassment. The secondary emotion, the thing that actually came out, was anger. See, anger is called that secondary emotion because we tend to resort to anger as a result of that primary feeling. Anger is often used to protect, cover up, or even validate that primary emotion of fear, insecurity, or frustration. So here's some approaches to manage anger. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, the psalmist writes, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. If we outline this passage, we can identify some ABCs to dealing with anger. Some ABCs to dealing with anger. So when the Bible text says, be angry and do not sin, the author is telling the audience to acknowledge your anger. 
know what it can lead to. So A is acknowledge. And let me see if I have this on the slide. I do. So A is for acknowledge. Acknowledging your anger is so important because if you ignore your secondary emotion, you won't understand how to deal with your primary emotion. So early on in our relationship, Jin Ha would often ask me, are you okay? And especially when she would feel emotional distance, she would ask me that are you okay question. And it would bother me to no end because I was so used to kind of suppressing my emotions when she asked me, why are you feeling frustrated or why do I sense emotional distance? I actually didn't know the answer to that question. And so I knew it was coming. She'd look at me. She'd have this concerned look on her face. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to talk to you. And then just kind of like distance myself. You know, I'm going to scooch, scooch on down the, down the couch. Oh, busy. Got to go study. I would often tell her I'm fine, but then I would get upset at little things that she would do as the days would pass by. Or I would be sarcastic and snarky, or I would literally put physical distance where it's like, I just, today I'm busy with this, or tomorrow I have an appointment with so-and-so, I can't catch up. And she would repeatedly ask me that questions, uh, ask me that question, and days later I would realize, yeah, you know what, I was upset about this one particular thing that happened, and here's why I was upset. And after talking it through with her, she would say, I missed you. And what she was saying is, I feel connected now because we've talked about that and I can feel that uh, emotional connectivity. So she would say, I missed you. It took me years and years to figure out and to cultivate that sense of, you know what, that does make me upset and to be able to communicate that. The next part of the text says, meditate within your heart and be still. When you recognize that you are angry, Take a moment to meditate, to be still before you act. Understanding your heart first will make it so much easier when you seek to resolve or accept the difficulty in your life. So there are really two steps mentioned in this next part of the passage. That first one is backtrack. After you acknowledge that you're angry, backtrack and think through what happened throughout the day that made me feel the way that I do. The purpose of these steps is to replace reaction to reflection. And reflection is such a powerful tool because there are moments where you can actually pinpoint the thing that made you frustrated and change the quality of your day. So once you've identified the moment that made you mad, you can then consider the cause. So A is acknowledge your anger. B is backtrack. And C is consider the cause of your anger consider the cause of your anger. I'm going to highlight three causes of anger, and hopefully some of these tips are going to be useful to you. The first cause of anger is real or perceived unmet needs. Real or perceived unmet needs. When someone consistently does not fulfill a need or desire you have, it leads to frustration and anger. I came across this communication tool in uh, counseling training, and it's called Practicing assertiveness and active listening. Practicing assertiveness and active listening. And I'm just going to put the definition up there for you. So assertive individuals, or excuse me, both individuals in a relationship need to practice being assertive. Rather than assuming that your other partner can read your mind, it's important that both partners are able to share how they feel by asking clearly and directly for what they want. 
So assertive individuals take responsibility for their messages by using I statements. They avoid statements beginning with you. They communicate how one is feeling and making constructive requests. They are positive and respectful in their communication. They use polite phrases such as please and thank you. So, for example, here's a way not to use an I statement. You are a jerk. That's not an I statement. An I statement first says, I feel this way when this happens. So it takes responsibility by saying, this is how I'm feeling, rather than saying, this is who you are. So here's some other examples of good I statements. I'm feeling out of balance. While I love spending time with you, I also want to spend time with my friends. I would like us to find some time to talk about this. Do you see how the person speaking takes responsibility for what's going on? They're saying, this is how I feel, and this is what I want. Here's a second I statement. I want to take a ski vacation next winter, but I know you like to go to the beach. I'm feeling confused about what choice we should make. So a good response to active, or excuse me, a good response to assertive statements are active listening statements, active listening statements. So active listening is the ability to let your partner know you understand them by restating their message. So here's a definition or a, another definition. Active listening involves listening intently without interruption and then restating what was heard. Acknowledge content and the feelings of the speaker. The active listening process lets the sender know whether or not the message they sent was clearly understood by having the listener restate what they heard. Now, this is very important. Content and feeling. So there are two levels of communication. One are the words that you're using. Two is the emotion behind the words. And this is also an overgeneralization, but... Uh, I find that men are good at focusing on the content, but not understanding the feeling. And oftentimes, Jinha would say things like, you don't understand me. And I was like, no, I heard the words that came out of your mouth. We speak the same language. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand me. And what she's communicating is, there is a feeling that I have that you are not connected to. I need you to be able to connect to that feeling. And for me, that didn't make sense because I was saying, well, what you're saying and what you're feeling are two different things. So which one do I pay attention to? And anyway, whoever it is that you're communicating to, you've just got to figure that person out. So here's some examples of active listening. So those are the statements and these are the responses. I heard you say you are feeling out of balance and enjoy the time we spend together, but that you also need more time to be with your friends. You want to plan a time to talk about this. So notice the feeling is a sense of out of balanceness, And so that person is communicating uh, a need, a want to reallocate time elsewhere. There's a second response. If I understand what you said, you are concerned because you want to go skiing next winter, but you think I would rather, uh, but you think I would rather go to the beach. Is that correct? So assertive, uh, practicing I statements and practicing um, active listening. The next cause of anger that I want to spend time on is 
anger that comes from unmet expectations or frustration that comes from real or perceived unmet expectations. It's so difficult to handle disappointment when expectations are not met, especially when what is delivered or what has happened is so far from what you actually wanted. When you feel angry from disappointment, acknowledge or it's important to acknowledge that there are certain statements that we have in our, me- in, in our minds that lead to that frustration and that disappointment. You know, we subconsciously practice something called I demand statements. I demand statements. So when you feel frustrated, here's what I demand statements sound like. This computer should work. I paid good money. So there's an expectation. The unit doesn't deliver. And then anger is a result of that. That person shouldn't have been driving that way. It's dangerous. You shouldn't act this way. It's rude. I should be this way. I'm a Christian. See, I demand statements are heavily rooted in justice or entitlement. And a good response to I demand statements is to replace those statements with I desire statements. So when you acknowledge the thought of I demand, replace it with the I desire And the way this exercise works is by taking a piece of paper and writing down literally, I desire, or I am frustrated about this, I desire, and then write out exactly what it is that you want, and then write down what needs to happen in order to get to where you want, in order to get what you want. And what this exercise does is it helps manage expectations. This also helps you to put effort into areas that you value. If you want that promotion, the house, the relationship, it allows you to be able to plan out what needs to happen instead of focusing on what hasn't happened. I demand statements. Focus on circumstance and the frustration leads to a fixation on the problem. I desire statements. Focus on the change that you want out of the circumstance and refocuses disappointment on what needs to happen to be constructive with the problem at hand. Of course, there aren't always moments when you can manage that circumstance. And I think this is where uh, the Christian faith really plays into that. For example, there are moments where people hurt you and they're just, they will not acknowledge the fact that they've hurt you. And I think that's where Christian faith comes in, where you choose to practice forgiveness, where you are able to meditate upon the cross of Christ and think about what that actually means for you as an individual. And at that point, you decide, am I going to allow this bitterness to continue on in my heart or do I let it go and choose to forgive the person? And of course, that's not an easy journey, but it is a tool that we have accessible to us. There are also moments where there are difficult circumstances that will not change. And so that unmet expectation is a constant, whether it's you're stuck in a job or you're stuck in a particular circumstance, whether it's health-related. There are moments where it's really difficult to then say, okay, what can I do to change the circumstance that I am in? Because you simply cannot. I find knowing God is there in those moments of suffering can bring incredible peace. And I think One challenge that we have as Christians is that oftentimes in circumstances, we believe in a God that has omnipotent power. And if God is all-powerful, then he can do anything. So why doesn't he change the circumstance that I'm in? And when God doesn't change that circumstance, then it leads to more unmet expectations and more frustration. But I find what is powerful is rather than expecting something from God, 
to actually cling to God in that moment and just say, God, I need to know that you are here through this. I need to know that you are here through this. It's incredible how pain and suffering is managed when we recognize there's a community around us. And I think church is a powerful thing as well. When you're going through a difficulty, it makes all the difference in the world to know that there are other people that care about you. And I think as we look around in the room and as we, well, not so much as we look around in the room, as we get to know people around in this room and we get to know their stories, we get to know their frustrations, we get to know the challenges that they're in, there are moments where you might be impressed. I should just call this individual. I should just text them to see how they're doing, or I should just reach out and just kind of catch up with them for a meal. And, you know, it's such a powerful thing to just journey with people through difficult circumstances. It does incredible, incredible things. So the final source of anger that I want to talk about is insecurity. And an insecurity is when our perceived inadequacy creates fear that others see me as I see myself. That was probably a confusing uh, statement. I just try to um, read that one more time. Insecurity is when our perceived inadequacy creates fear that others see me as I see myself. Insecurity is often connected to identity. If there's a confrontation and you recognize that you feel insecure, I recommend doing something that puts you in a place of security before going into that circumstance or that conversation. Do things that make you feel good about yourself. Do things that make you feel good about yourself. And that is not confused with do things that make you feel good. Because sometimes doing things that make you feel good make you feel bad about yourself. So do things that make you feel good about yourself. So for me, that's exercise, go mountain biking, go do a hobby. And of course, the most important thing is connect with God in those moments. I find the greatest solution to identity building is taking moments to ask Jesus in prayer. I did this. This is who I think I am. This is what the other person thinks of me. But Jesus, what do you think of me? What do you think of me? And the answer in the silence of the moment is often deafening to me. And the reason why is because it takes humility to be loved. It takes humility to be loved. But once you're able to fixate on the love of God, it allows you to grow and develop in that love rather than be torn down by the, condemnations of, the condemnation of others and yourself. There's a passage here, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Think about that for a moment. You are worth the life of Jesus. You are worth the life of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance where someone has done something nice for you, but you felt it was kind of like a pity gift. Like, ah, you're just giving it to me because you feel sorry for me. And as you think about this one statement, Jesus did not give his life for you because he pities you. Jesus gave his life for you because you have intrinsic value. In other words, God knows what you're capable of. He knows your potential. And from that, he gave his life because he knew you are worth it.
So here are the ABCs one more time. Acknowledge your anger, backtrack, and consider the cause of your anger. If you feel controlled by your anger and you would like professional help, the, the Australian government provides subsidy for counseling. The mental health care plan allows for 10 sessions with a professional uh, counselor that can walk you through different kinds of therapy. The program can be fully covered depending on your needs. And for more information, you can go to beyondblue.org.au. So as you think upon where you're at, how you manage your anger, it's my prayer that as you really connect with God in those moments that you can grow and develop uh, and understand your emotions. And there really is a powerful, powerful thing that happens as you understand your anger, you can then understand the anger of others and uh, community, a deeper sense of community results um, from that. So may you experience God in the midst of your emotions. In closing, there's going to be a song, and it's a uh, VeggieTales song. And uh, there's a, it's a song about uh, patience and taking your time. And uh, in the midst of that, I think there's some really key key points of, uh, of, of dealing with anger. And uh, Jinha uses it in our home, but uh, songs do make a difference when you're um, going through different emotions. And so I hope that you're blessed by the song. <laughs>